Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demonland podcast. My name is Andy, and we've gone three and O for the first time in sixteen years, and looking to make it four and O for the first time in twenty-seven years. But let's just enjoy the moment and take it one week at a time. We've got a uh, full deck uh, back on board with us tonight. Uh, Great Viney, good evening. Welcome back uh, to the Demonland podcast. Good evening, Andy. Uh, good evening to all the Demon Landers too. Uh, just enjoying my uh, the new weekly ritual uh, post game, which is to um, watch Cozzy highlights over and over and over again. So I presume that's what the rest of you have been doing too. I know, and there, there's more and more each week. It's it's, it's something to behold. We'll talk about uh, Cozzy um, uh, uh, hitting the scoreboard four times. Uh, in a moment, uh, but before that, uh, also joining us tonight, long-time Demonlander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, everybody. And uh, we're not really getting ahead of ourselves here on Demonland. We st- still haven't beaten anyone above us on the ladder. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let, let's wait till we take a few scalps. Uh, also uh, joining us tonight, Bim Man. Good evening, Bim Man. Good evening, George, Andy, and Great Barney. And uh, all the Demonlanders, and um, I, I love Demonland. It's a, a microcosm of, uh, I guess, footy fans. We've first time we've won three games at the start of a season since 2005, and there's still opportunities to uh, complain about how we're travelling. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing. I've always said, and I've said it on the site a few times. Uh, it doesn't matter what happens; we can win the premiership. And people are going to complain that the the cup isn't shiny enough. Um, there will always be something uh, to complain about, um, and I myself are probably guilty of it, and probably will be guilty of it uh, tonight as we discuss uh, the topics. But let's get straight into it. Uh, let's talk uh, the captain's performance. He's he's spending a lot of time on the ground, ninety percent this week. We're resting him in the forward line, and and that height. Is really paying dividends. Twenty-four possessions, thirteen contested, twenty-eight hitouts, thirteen to advantage, nine marks, five of which contested, seven clearances, nine score involvements, two goals and two behinds, which which should have been three goals. It was a real dominant performance, and and often when I listen back to our shows, we sort of skip over the the skip, uh, pardon the pun, uh, because he almost always puts in a solid performance. But but Sunday night, he he really led by example. Uh, George. Um, Maxi, yeah, fantastic performance again, as you said. Uh, played ninety-five percent uh, time on ground this week. Um, he had a few other helpers out, as we pointed out last week, with uh, half a dozen people sort of going over the ninety percent mark, uh, which means that they're basically taking one, maybe two breaks uh, during the game. That just gives our mids much more time to to get a, the, a more breaks themselves, which is advantaging us. But I think the big the big change we're noticing, we notice it with Max, but he's able to do it this year because he's got this other chap called Luke Jackson who also paid, played 91% of the game. Uh, when Luke's doing the ruck and the work around it, it enables Max to just slowly slide up forward and we've, we've seen what uh, what he's capable of doing uh, when he's left unattended up there. And, boy, there's a lot of clubs going to really worry about uh, this pair of, of ruckmen uh, and the way they're operating at the moment because... Um, not, not all of them have two, two capable ruckmen on the field, but we certainly have. 
So, so I'll, um, I'll, I'll ask uh, the, the other two, uh, Grape Viney and B-Man, um, maybe Grape Viney can take it first. Uh, it, you know, it was great to have Max hit the scoreboard and provide that tall target, uh, which is going to worry a lot of teams. Like you said, George, uh, especially this week because T-Mac had a very quiet night, wasn't really able to clunk any marks inside 50. But I just wonder whether we'll, how, how are we going to use Maxi and Jackson um, and T-Mac and Weed and Brown when they come back? Because uh, I don't know if you've heard the news, but both T-Mac and Weed will be playing in the twos this week and uh, providing their form is good, they're going to be knocking on the door um, to the seniors. So how is our forward line, what's it going to look like and what's the resting situation uh, are going to be? Uh, how many tools can we have? We can't have everyone in. So I guess form is going to play a big factor, obviously, but if T-Mac's firing, what 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 are we going to do? Uh, Grey Viney? Uh, Andy, I've on? been worrying about this problem for weeks, um, thanks to my MFCSS, um, Melbourne Football the Club reverse. Supporter Syndrome, for those of you not familiar with it. Um, look, the that's the issue. There's um, really an embarrassment of riches. Um, there was a question mark over T-Mac's form coming into the season. Yes, he didn't have a great night on uh, on the weekend, but um, was double teamed for most of the night and was was crowded out often. Um, but look, Luke Jackson, um, I think we all expected him to be a you know to develop and come on this year, but he certainly exceeded my expectations in the first few games. And um, as George uh, pointed out. Um, his form has enabled Max to, to just play a different role. Um, and uh, it's incredible that both of them um, are in the plus 90% game time. Um, and uh, look, to answer the question, I'm not sure that I do have an answer as to how we're going to set up um, when uh, uh, when Brown and Wiedemann are back. Um you know, going on the weekend's performance, you'd probably see say um, Tommy is is probably first on the chopping block. You'd have to say, I don't know whether Weed will automatically get back in, but you'd think um, you'd think Brown once he's had a run in the twos will be right to go and will come back in. So um, uh, very interesting to see how how it's going to work going forward. But very pleased. Looks sorry, like... just one more thing. Very pleased that we've managed yeah. to go the three rounds. Um, had we kicked more accurately, um, we would have kicked very healthy scores each week. So um, uh, it's uh, it's been promising so far. Uh, yeah, I think we will go the you know two the, as in the two key forwards. Whether it's it's T Mac and Brown, T Mac and Weed, T Mac uh, Brown and Weed, a mixture of any of those two. But the bid man, the, I might go to you and George. I'll, I'll ask. You, I'll let you contribute uh, after that. What's going to happen? The, what I was sort of is what we do with Max and and, um, and Luke Jackson in terms of their resting and you know where do we put put them? Because obviously we've been playing them forward to to get allow the midfielders uh, more rotations. Uh, how's it going to work um, with with those with the two ruckmen? And their resting periods. Just, um, just before we move off, Max, because as you say, Andy, it's sort of he's so consistently um, excellent for us that he's in that category. Uh, and funnily enough, I think Track's sort of heading into that zone where um, 
you know, you can forget how important he is to us. And um, he was just fantastic in this game. I mean, he's been brilliant all, all year. And, um, you know, he, we talked about it on the podcast last year, you know, should he be rested at uh, different times last year? And he, and he sort of refused almost, it appeared to, to even countenance the idea of being rested. But he was awesome in that game yesterday. And it was really interesting, um, both him and Nat Nui having such dominant match shaping games um, after the um, you know the the palaver about um, Grundy not um, you know having a million hit outs to one and um, Pi still going down on the Thursday night or Friday night whenever that was um, because that was as dominant um, a game from a ruckman again as I can recall and you know I've said this before but he reminds me a lot of um, the way Teasdale played that sort of uh, you know strong around the ground going back when needed but also pushing forward he probably get, gets a bit more forward than Teasdale ever did and um, um, but he, he plays a very similar way and he's remarkably good as you know below his knees and um, off the ground and you know I thought it was a fantastic performance um, from him um, as to the question of of um, him and Jackson um, waxing together I, I don't see it as really a huge issue in large part because of how um, amazingly athletic Jackson is. Uh, he, uh, Someone put up on Demon Land some stats about him and I think he was only second or third in contested ball. Um, in meter, He was high in metres gained. He was, he'd, I think he was second or third or fourth behind um, Langdon in terms of distance travelled, uh, 15 kilometres. Maybe he was our second or third He was up the there on his ground ball gets where he was, I think he was equal with Jack Viney as the... Um, highest on the ground for ground ball gets, which is extraordinary. Yeah, and so I, I think that um, he's really not going to be a forward. I think he, he's almost a half forward. I mean, there's a. I think he'll play at sort of almost a sort of floating forward and utility where he'll get up the ground a bit and, um, you know, what that means for someone like a Sparrow, whether you can, um, you know, whether you can still run that defensive forward. But... He is so athletic that I think that he they won't even consider him a big up there. Um, he'll just be a match-up, um, you know, just a, a match-up um, nightmare for opposition coaches because you'll have at least two tools. You'll have Brown and Wiedemann, for instance, and him almost playing a half forward. And he's now he's put on a bit of size and, um, you know, he can do serious minutes in the ruck, which gives us huge tactical flexibility in terms of how they use Max. And we'll talk about this a bit later, but they um, flooded pretty hard against us. The first team that's sort of done that, that we've played this in the, in the games we've played thus far. And um, but him being able to go into the ruck meant that they were able to put Max forward, which was a really clever way to break that flood down and, and make sure the ball, um, if wasn't marked up forward, was brought to uh, ground. But, um, yeah, I thought they, um, they they really had a good balance going on, the two of them. Um, and on Jackson, geez, I just think he's he's going to be a superstar. I mean, the focus is quite rightly on Cozzy, but... You know, Jackson is he's something out of the box and he's so good below his feet and his ability to handball. He's we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, George. His, his footy IQ is super high, he's not like a basketballer first, footy player second. He doesn't look like that at all. Um, and I think we've got something really special there, George. Yeah, I just, I just had a question for everybody else. Um, I, um, I was just wondering whether you, whether you think Tommy Max playing injured at the moment. He in the game, you know, and again it's on. I, I saw it only on television. He seemed to 
be back to where he was last year where he's, he's not jumping off the ground and he's not accelerating. Um, it's almost like he's going up and down in one spot. Um, uh, and I think that if that's the case, then uh, it might make the decision in a couple of weeks' time a little bit easier. Yeah, I haven't noticed anything, so the other guys can jump in if they did. But, uh, yeah, if, if that is the case, then uh, there are two two guys uh, raring to go. Uh, we'll probably be knocking down the door very soon. So uh, that, that that's not uh, too concerning for me uh, at the moment. I'm just happy that we got through the first three weeks and hopefully we can get through uh, the next week uh, before uh, we need to sort of switch him out if, if the need is there. Um, other guys? Uh, you noticed anything? Well, there's actually some interesting talk about his game uh, on Demon Land in terms of how it rated. I don't, th- I don't think he had a great game, and uh, I, I dislike his body language at times when he um, gets beaten in a contest or a uh, um, umpiring decision goes against him, or he doesn't get one that he thinks he's deserved. But I mean, they did. You know, the point was made, and it's a good one. Was that? Um, you know, the Giants made it pretty tough by getting players back in their defence and making it pretty hard for all our marking forwards. Um, and I'm not sure, George, whether, you know, injured, if, if so, he would have had to have picked it up and um, it probably suggests a chronic injury because he, he was as mobile as he's been since 2018 in the first two rounds. So, you know, um, unless he's picked up something. So I, I don't know about that. Um, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't even, you know, countenance dropping him this week he he was did his job um but yeah i think he only had the one mark Mm. well we saw something that we haven't seen before and that was um not committing to a contest properly late in the game which is um very unusual for for tom mcdonald so not sure didn't look good did it no look it happens now and then um but uh yeah not um uh pretty out of character for tom yeah, and I thought actually on that one good thing was that the um, commentators didn't bag him out because, um, you know, there's quite rightfully a lot of focus on the dangers of concussion and so, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be alert to the dangers of concussion and then, you know, jump on a player who pulls out of a contest. Um, we'll move on. Um, Langdon returned to some of his best uh, 2020 form. He he just owned uh, that wing, uh, taking nine marks and using that uh, speed and run and carry. He racked up an incredible game high, 903 metres gained. Uh, you know, he propelled the ball inside 50, a game high uh, 10 times and uh, had five score involvements. Um, I just, just love Langdon. I think it's an absolute coup that we got him and um, is, you know, hopefully... It's going to help us uh, win finals, uh, get into finals, win finals, and and uh, well, well, let's uh, let's just take it one week at a time, uh, George. Yeah, fantastic, isn't he? And what a great pickup for us. And you know, we had this a couple of years ago. We had this dramatic hole in on the wing, and and we have got the absolute perfect solution to it in the form of Langdon. Uh, he just keeps going and going. He's the the ever ready battery, isn't he? He just does not stop the whole game. I think it was interesting where in Max had an interview on RSN today where he said they, he plays on the far wing so they can't actually get him off the ground. But uh, uh, it's, it's nice to have a player who's willing to, to play the whole game and, and the amount of ground that he covers. And more importantly for us, I don't think it's when he's got the ball in his hand. It's, 
it's the options that he creates for our back line when they always know that there's a, an Ed Langdon out the side as a safety valve, you know. So, um, yeah, he's he's a fabulous addition to the to the side and will take us and has taken us a long way from where we were two years ago. He always seems to be in the right spot defensively. As George said, he's either at the side or at the back of the contest um, and sort of, a yeah, the safety valve there. So um, the numbers you read out, though, Andy, they speak for themselves, so... There's not a lot to add to it. Um, you know, um, some criticise him that his disposal could be a bit better and that's probably the only knock on his game. Um, other than that, it's it's pretty much a complete performance. Totally. And even with that, uh, Grape, he's, I reckon he's improved this yep. uh, year in terms of his... He seems, with his disposal, I mean, he's um, making smart decisions. So he's doing what I... I know we'll talk about Hunt. He's doing what Hunt doesn't and, and that he um, kicks long. He doesn't try many short kicks. And I think um, you hit the nail on the head with his positioning. He's just another smart footballer. He's clever. Uh, and he implies he's, he's, he seems like a pretty switched on fella too from when I've heard him speak. And he, impl- he applies that intelligence to the game. He makes smart decisions and he's surprisingly good overhead. He took a beautiful mark um, pushing back into that young first game or the, the medical sub, I think it was, for the Giants. And it was just, he, he's really good hands. I saw that 904 metres. That's that's remarkable. Ninety-six meters short of a kilometer running, and there's on the D's website. There's the stats that matter, and that's that's one. And they've got video of it, which is a new thing this year. And it's just him running and kicking for a couple of minutes. Um, it's a great little package. And that's the running of just when he's he's got the ball. You you don't see all the running he probably does when he he doesn't have the ball running up and down that wing. So. Yeah. Um, I don't have that those stats in front of me. I'm not sure. Well, it's 15 kilometres, I think he ran, and yeah. it wasn't. And what's his name? 15 and a half. So topped our charts in terms of distance covered. Um, and um, as I was saying before, Jackson was was not very far away at all from that. He's not far off a um, running a half marathon there. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, let's move on. Cosy Pickett. Uh, he just keeps uh, getting better and better. Uh, Kitty's going to be an out-and-out star of the competition. He's already getting a lot of um, a lot of attention from the media, um, and rightly so. That you know, kids are going to be lining up to to sew that number thirty-six onto their guernseys, which is a a great thing for the club. Um, he's incredible, ex- incredibly exciting every time he touches the ball, and now he's impacting the the scoreboard off his own boot for, for four goals, as well as being involved in seven other in score involvements. Uh, Great Viney, uh, it's so good to have uh, to have a live wire in the forward line. Um, yeah, he's magic, isn't he? And as you say, to have a whole new generation of Melbourne supporters with number thirty six on the back, um, uh, you know, um, plenty plenty used to wear that one when Flash was around. Um, look, the, the the great thing about Cosy is that he's nailed a few of those early cracking goals. Um, and so that just must give him the world of confidence that he can do absolutely anything on the footy field. So uh, really pleased for him over the past couple of weeks. Um, freakish stuff, the kind uh, uh, the kind of footy that brings in um, that brings in the crowds. And uh, I-, I was screaming his name uh, on Sunday afternoon a couple of times. So uh, yeah, looking forward to watching that for the next ten years. 
also his defensive mm. stuff, uh, you know, just his tackling and harassing and, um, yeah. He's, he's on, so on, quick on, as well, isn't yeah. he? He's lightning at top, yeah. at and, top speed. And aggressive. Like, he plays aggressive footy. And I said um, that he appears to be a pretty coachable young man. And um, last year, you might remember, you know, uh, I noted he was, um, seemed to go over the top a few times with his tackles and he got pinged quite a few times. I don't reckon he's given away a free kick this year that I can recall. He might have, but he still tackles hard and pulls up. He hasn't given down, you know, one of those late ones where it's down the ground or and he gave a couple of them away last year. Uh, he plays aggressive, as you say, Grape. He's, he's quick. He, and we, as we've talked about a number of times, he's got super high footy IQ. He's... Like there were the spectacular goals he kicked, but the one that just showed how clever he was was the goal where the two, I think it's his last one where he ran into the goal square, the two Giants players went up and, the, you know, one player made the, the defenders in no-no of deciding to punch the ball and not punching the ball over the line. And he waited down for that front and centre and he was onto it before, you know, it was nowhere near hitting the ground when he catched it, when he caught it and grabbed it and just sort of ran straight into it, into the goal. It was just pure reading the situation. So many players before I've seen, you know, who aren't quite as natural go into that contest, even going for the mark, and there's suddenly two, you know, um, two Melbourne players, two giant players and no, no one down. Um, he's, I said, and I think it's being borne out that he's in our top five most important players and um, I stand by that. I think his performance is, is shown that and he was part of what was incre- another incredible statistic, perhaps the most incredible statistic from this game was 17 inside 50 um, tackles um, to there. I can't recall. I think there were only six or seven for the Giants, and they were playing pretty tough footy as well. But 17 inside um, 50 must have made the coaching staff thrilled. Um, I'm not sure how many he got, but, sort of, but predominantly him, Spargo, Nibbler, Swallow. Um, that's just fantastic forward. Swallow. That's Sparrow. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I've never, look, just, I'm just going to call Just calling Swallow. Yeah, I'm just going to stay with Swallow. So. Didn't, didn't you love, though, his other goal where he intercepted the, uh, the kick <laughs> And uh, he, unlike other players, like you were saying, just the footy smarts, um, other players probably would have just gone for a punch to get it out, out of bounds. Well, he he just did enough to get it to ground, and then that left hand pick up, followed by the right right foot kick, was just brilliant to watch. Um, just spectac- spectacular stuff. Yeah. The, the the shot from behind the goal was the other really fantastic thing about that because he was sweating on that. He was watching. And he waited until that ball was um, um, in the air and then moved to that contest. That was totally, he saw the opportunity, which gave him the chance to pull it off um, because it's not, you know, it's one thing doing that, but he was, it was a premeditated thought in his mind and they were clueless to what was happening. It was just fantastic. And one of the funniest things of that vision was track, Looked like he was sort of half expecting it. <laughs> and then about halfway through, he just starts watching because he realises Cosy's going alone. Um, yeah. And he's just, no just yeah, he's a spectator. But the, um, yeah. the other thing about that goal is it came at a really important time of the game. Um, it was just after half time and it took us out to a 10 point lead, I think. And we, uh, we didn't really look back after that point. I know that we'd no. been on top. Um, earlier in the game and had obviously got back into the contest, but 
uh, yeah, it came at a really, really crucial time. And uh, as you say, Bin Man, in terms of his importance to the team um, and talking about track, we've now got two genuine match winners. Who can, yeah, two showtime players. Yeah, who can turn a game off their own boot um, in an instant. And you've got the capacity to to basically swap them through the middle um, uh, and and forward. Um, you probably have track doing more midfield minutes and Cosy spending more time forward. But, uh, yeah, swapping them and mixing things up um, will keep uh, plenty of oppositions um, yeah. uh, guessing as to what's going on. There was a question on Demon Land about whether, I think it was Lucifer's hero talking about whether the, he, he might end up playing more minutes in the um, in as a midfield. And you know, I think he will. As, uh, you summed it up really well last week, George, in terms of he might play shock minutes as a shock trooper type, but he, he's just too important up forward. I think you just can't. That's robbing Peter and not getting much from Paul back on that. I reckon so. You know, he'll, he'll spend some time up the middle, but he gets up the ground too defensively, doesn't he? He's, he's running up the ground and, um, yeah, he's, he's just a, a he's a star. And it's so – when he kicked that goal, the sort of the noise that came up, there was only six or 7,000 people at um, – or 8,000 people at that ground, but it, there was a genuine buzz when he kicked that goal and it's great to have a player who at the Ds who, you know, opposition fans uh, love as much as we do. Maybe not quite as much, but – and just for uh, accuracy's sake, uh, he this year he's had uh, three free kicks against and one free kick for. Right. Uh, and uh, Andy, I was, despite his heroics and two brilliant goals again, he couldn't get the video of the week. You gave that to uh, Max snapping from forty meters out. Yeah, I've uh, that's that's on Demon Land. We have that feature on the front page, uh, the goal of the, the the video of the week, and uh, I think he's been in the picture and the the video the last three weeks. So I thought I, I better give it to someone else. And considering a sponsor, Max, I thought uh, I'll give that because that that was a great goal by Max. You do, you don't often see him uh, kick a snap for goal, so uh, yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty special. Yeah, it went about sixty uh, meters too. That snap. So yeah, yeah, they're just picking it up outside the ground still. Um. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, all right, well, we love Cozzy and we could talk about him all night, but let's uh, let's move on. Uh, I, I, look, I thought uh, we'll talk about Jaden Hunt. Um, uh, this it might be a bit polarizing. Um, you know, different people have different views. I thought he, he I thought he had a good game, uh, with the caveat that his disposal efficiency in the first half at, at one point was at thirty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's ended the match with sixty percent uh, disposal. Uh, efficiency. Um, so he improved in that second half. Um, he's had five turnovers. Um, uh, there's some other stuff. He's had 25 disposals, um, uh, six intercept possessions, 540 metres uh, gained, uh, seven inside 50s, three tackles. Um, you know, he provides that good, you know, run and speed out of defence. Um, you know, I'd like to see more of the second half, Jaden Hunt, and hopefully his disposal can improve. But you know, we've talked in the past, you know, whether you can improve disposal this late in the in in the game. Uh, uh, Bin Man, you want to start off with with him? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I said before the season started that, um, you know, I think he's in the his KPI is made is gained, gets the ball carries it, um, kicks long. I, I would flat out 
just tell him he can only kick at 50. I think I've said this before, I have. But kick at 50 metres or handball it off. He's just hopeless at kicking those, um, you know, particularly when he's on the move and running um, 20, 30 metres, um, those little chip kicks. He just doesn't seem to have that capacity to weight them or, or not float them above the um, or over the, um, at the Demons player's head. I think... I was trying to think of his role and I really reckon his pace is um, critical for that back half. His disposal is such a worry that it's, um, you know, it, it creates problems and um, there's no question about that. But the, the that zone that I was talking about, that cell-like zone that moves across the ground is like a, almost an amoeba as opposed to in the straight lines. The way around it is is crossing it, um, and that you need players with genuine speed to be able to get across to players, both to stop them crossing it, to, so so the the option in the corridor or around it isn't there, um, and to man up and to get the speed enough to go out and stop players uh, running on to get the player on the mark. And so I, I really think that that's his. Ace in the pack is the um, his uh, foot speed uh, and meters gained are a um, bonus on top of that. Um, and you know, I think it's hard to know, like we've talked about any number of times, the role that players have without it being explicitly pointed out by the coach. But I reckon his leg speed is really, really important for us back there. And um, you know, if he can run and carry, all the better. Oh, George, George, I, I believe you hold a, a, a slightly contrary view to most uh, about this. You want to? Uh... Yeah, um, I'm actually probably in the same boat as Binman, if the truth be known. Everybody looks at Hunter and they all get very impressed with the runs up the ground. It, it's the effect that it has on the, the uh, rest of the players and the way it's delivered, I think, are just as equally as important. There was a, a fabulous article um a couple of days ago in The Age from Michael Gleeson, and it was about how Sydney um, beat Richmond's uh, zone defence. Um, and ba- and the whole thesis behind it was, instead of kicking into the 50 uh, where the defenders have time to set up that zone um, and come off their own man to intercept, the idea was to actually hang back a little bit and then wait for the zone to spread um, if you've got lots of options, and Sydney were do what Sydney were doing was kicking it around the fifty, um, changing up the angles all the time, so that the defenders were spread throughout the whole fifty. Now the danger with Jaden Hunt when he runs down the ground is that the defenders just walk straight back into the fifty. They they fold back. It's the natural thing they do. And and the contrast is if Salem's got the ball, he's kicking it to someone who's twenty thirty meters away. The defenders have to come out to that player to defend that player. But with Jaden Hunt, all they do is fold back, wait for the ball to go up in the air, then they come off their man to to intercept. So um, he's like Bin Man said, he's got to change that game up. He should he should be told by the coaches, do not kick at fifty unless you kick the uh, kicking for goal. You should be kicking twenty or thirty and and making sure handballing the ball to make, get the maximum effect um, for what you're doing. But unfortunately, it, it looks fan, fantastic lot for the spectator's point of view when he runs up the ground. But he's actually probably not doing us a lot of favours in the end. Great finding. Anything to add? Uh, no. Look for me. The question certainly for the past year, and I, you know, as you mentioned, sort of going a little bit back to his 2017 form is. Why can't he be doing what 
Langdon does on the other wing. Um, in addition to looking similar, um, they're both quick. You'd sort of think, why can't he be sort of playing that same role? So, um, yeah, I'm also not convinced um, that he's cemented his uh, place in the team yet, even though um, uh, he had a, a pretty good game in the end on uh, on Sunday night. Yeah, I think that. I mean, George, I'd be saying that I'm not sure if the maybe I wasn't clear, but I'd I'd be advising him if I was a coach to run and carry to the middle of the ground if you can, even get into open space and got the ball and kick it as long as you can, get it deep into our line and um, into our forward line, not kick those 20-metre kicks because that's where he's turning him over. I, I take your point. I think that's a really good one about that. then that creates um, a re- one, a rebound opportunity and, and um, it means that the defenders can all sort of sit back and they're not stretching out that defence. I think that's a really interesting point. But... You know, if he gets the ball at 50, um, uh, sort of at the halfback and can run to the centre and launch at 60 metres, it's going pretty deep into our forward line. Um, but And he's only getting eight, nine kicks a game. So I'd just be I'd just be directing him to do that or handball it off to a sailor and we'll get it to the, to the player running next to him because he just cannot hit that 20-metre kick. He turns it over every time and then you're... Ex- then you're right as well because he turns over there, he's in the middle of the ground, everyone's out of position. That's the other thing that those runs do. As you say, they look spectacular, but it drags everyone with him because the way they run, they run in waves. And there's a great photo of him and Langdon and um, um, Cozzy all running together. Well, you've got to because you've got to look for that overlap hand pass you turn it over you've got three four players who are run ahead of the ball and no one to get back and that's where you cough up goals and we did we did cough up goals to the Giants um, on the rebound. Um, Engorge Dungan in the chat room has said that Hunt is a more aesthetically pleasing version of Frost Um, and and boy I I watched a bit of (laughs) much about it but I watched a bit of the uh, the Hawthorne Geelong game, and boy, I'm glad uh, Frost doesn't play for the D. Did you watch anymore. the end of that game? I did. <laughs> Frost was somewhat important towards the end of the game. So yeah, a lot I, of Frost ball. Yeah, yes, I, certainly. I, I love the mark that uh, Frost took in the defensive goal square. Uh, on top of the uh, Geelong player and then probably handballed it to someone three metres away. Yeah, he, and, and the turned, thing is, he yeah. handballed before his feet were even back on the ground. It was just, a, yeah. it was the, it was, that was quintessential Sam Frost, wasn't it? It was fabulous. But it's actually not a bad comparison and makes your point actually quite well, George, in the sense that, as in Gorjunjin saying, is that that sort of randomness of... of what Hunt can do, it's like, well, how do you structure up around that? Like, what do you do? You're half thinking, I mean, going at 30%, you're sort of half thinking there's a pretty good chance, 70% chance um, it's going to come back the other way. So, um, But I do think that that speed across the ground to, to man up, to cover the exit, to stop the transition um, is super important. Yeah, I t- totally agree there. I, uh, I should have prefaced all this by saying, look, he's he's definitely an upgrade on what Joel Smith was offering us last year, um, and and that defensive side to be able to cover uh, the opposition switch is absolutely critical these days. It just shuts everybody down the way that football's been played for the last couple. Of years. Yeah, and and the most important thing for him, I think, is don't use the man bun. Just stay with the flat. <laughs> that's that's the key. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben Man with the uh, fashion uh, tips. Um, um, we'll move on now. Have Have GWS provided the the blueprint on how to take Oliver out of the game? Uh, De Boer. Uh, was holding and pushing and scraggling and getting all up in Oliver's face for the whole first half, or at least uh, while he was on the ground uninjured. Uh, that hard tag totally put uh, Clary off his game um, and, and rendered him uh, completely ineffectual in the middle. Uh, the D's, you know, we were forced to, to play him forward where he was able to get into a position to make an impact on the scoreboard. But alas, uh, his accuracy in uh, front of the big sticks was absolutely horrendous. He's kicked two points. I think he missed the other completely. Um, what do what we, Ray Viney, what, what do you do when, when Clary's, getting tagged out of the games and, and I can bet you uh, a lot of other clubs are going to try and do that. Is there some way we can negate that and, and be able to get him in the game without having to take him out of out of the middle? Um, I like what they did, that he just went away from the ruck contest altogether and took um, took his man completely away from it. That, wasn't a, that was quite an innovative way to deal with it. But look, as you say, if he'd, if he'd converted the... Um, if it converted the shots on goals, it wouldn't really be an issue. And uh, we've seen before that he can go forward and be damaging. So, look, I'm not too fussed. It's not the first time he's had a tag um, put on him and it won't be the last. And um, I'd be backing him to beat it most times. So, um, yeah, not uh, not fussed here. Big man, uh, uh, any tactics that you can see to be able to... Um sort of get around that uh, uh, Yeah, it's an interesting one because there was a couple of things. One, I don't think he did uh, handle it super well, but, you know, I again, it's hard when you're not at the ground, but some of the tactics by De Boer were like he was all over him, scrapping him. I mean, just, that frustrates me. I mean, I don't mind tag, go for it, but, you know, you, you can't be illegally grappling all the time. Um in that, uh, I listened, uh, George, to that interview uh, with Max this morning on RSN. And that's that's a really good. I think it's a fortnight, um, the captain's run or something they call it. And um, it was like twenty five minute interview with with Max, and he talked about exactly what Grapevine had just said that Clary uh, moved the uh, moved the ball completely away from the the um, bounce, which created a um, two on one, and was a big factor in um, some of our clearances that we got. And if you, I think the the one where we got um, um, maybe it was the one Fritch got uh, that was created space, although he ended up being involved, but he was way away from the centre bounce. So, um, you know, it was a real shame he missed those goals. He didn't look confident uh, on them. But the other thing from a tactical perspective is, sure, you tag him out of the game, but I think that's why there's it's not used in the same way as it once was because it also takes one of their players out of the game. Um, and so, like, it's a nil all. I mean, sure, he's a better player than De Boer, but, you know, it means that you're essentially saying one of our footballers, we're down to 21 men on the hope that we completely nullify Oliver. Uh, and, you know, I would have moved him probably away from the centre earlier perhaps. I don't know. I mean, he, he seemed to um, play all right up forward. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think many coaches will use it because, sure, you do you, you tag him out of it, um, but then Track can come in and dominate and Viney can dominate. And Viney was terrific. I know we'll, we'll touch on him and, um, you know, and maybe he was better because of um, De Boer blanketing uh, Oliver. 
Yeah, I, th I think that's um, really critical, Bind Man. It, it'll depend on the individual opposition coach and what he's got available. You you take a De Boer out of the uh, middle, you've got to put someone else in there. And if you haven't got that uh, quality player available, um, then there really is no um, no point in, in using a tag. We'll probably see it next week um, used heavily. Uh, O'Connor from Geelong... Um, did the same th same job on um, Mitchell from Hawthorne in a big big way. I think Mitchell had three possessions to half time or something like that. Um, but uh, the commentators, despite the fact that they they were horrible for the rest of the game, did make the point that um, Clary's a, a superstar of a player. He's got to learn to overcome this. Um, he's going to get that sort of attention. Um, we um, so the the options are you've got to overcome it and 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 just get better than the tagger or you move like we did we're able to move him up forward which enabled us to, because we have the, the remaining talent we've still got the vineys we've still got a brayshaw we've still got a jones that we can throw in there who can still get the ball um so um it's going to be difficult for the opposition coaches to to get the same effects out of tagging oliver that um you'll get from say another side with only one or two major Midfield, it's Hawthorne being a good example. Yeah, exactly. Take um, exactly. yeah, take Mitchell out, and you've taken Hawthorne out effectively. O'Meara, O'Meara yeah, um, exactly. and Warple aren't, aren't the same sort of levels. So, uh, and and yeah. Gordon was asked about that as well, and he about his response whether um, you know the inference was that he was thrown off his game by De Boer's tactics, and Gordon said that he didn't think so. In fact, that um, there's previously he sort of reacted much more poorly to being tagged hard like that um, and that he was really positive at the quarter-time breaks and the half-time, three-quarter time, and, and that he'd actually sort of given them um, a chop-out in terms of staying on the ground. And So I checked his um, time on ground and he was... 89%. Um, and I, so I thought, well, I wonder if that's sort of what he normally is. And I checked the previous week and it was the same last week. So, you know, he, he must stay on the ground a fair bit. And then sort of players like Nibbler and Sparrow and Viney are around the 60s, mid-60s and low 70s. So, um, you know, he stayed out there and uh, worked hard and, um, you know, sounded like he was really positive uh, to the rest of the players. So it didn't seem to upset him. If you want to hear that uh, interview uh, with Max Gorn, it is on uh, Demon Land. So uh, check out the um, Max Gorn interviewed on RSN thread on Demon Land. Um, uh, you mentioned Viney, um, B-Man. We had uh, Demon Land post a cards 13, uh, uh, post, posed a question to us. He said, interested to hear your thoughts on Viney. I, for one, am happy to put my hand up and say I was okay with him being traded last off-season. Uh, that's cards 13, not myself. Uh, lol. Uh, what would I know? I thought his game on the weekend uh, was really underrated. His attack on the contest at times, especially when the Giants had some run-ons, were really important. Uh, once he's fully match fit, uh, he can really add another different option in the middle and another fear factor for the opposing ball carrier. Um, Biman, you want to talk about Vine? Yeah, well, it sort of mirrors my thoughts. I, I think I said uh, a few weeks ago that you know maybe I was preparing myself for uh, the sort of likelihood or the chance of him leaving and downplaying his role. But, um, you know, and I think I, I've mentioned also the book I read around the captain's class about looking at um, leadership skills and the sort of the qualities of leaders and their influence on great teams has really influenced, actually, funnily enough, my view on Viney. And one of them is that 
the great leaders um, do things on the field that stand out physically and that almost always the great leaders aren't the best players um, and that it's their um, sort of preparedness to go above me on both in the training environment and on the field physically and pushing themselves past the boundary and their, their sort of myopic you know, focus on the game and winning and their um, teammates. And he, I reckon he's got a lot of those qualities and um, I'm totally with Cards 13 on that and think he's a super important player and, and, and I've, I've come around to that view um, that I think he's a lot more important than I gave him credit for, both from a cultural perspective but also, you know, in terms of the role he plays. Um, he was terrific in that game. Um, was uh, I think he had his score involvements were quite high, George. Great, Viney. Did you see the stats on that? No, um, I'll, I'll look that up while you, while you guys uh, are chatting. Yeah, no, 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 I don't know about the um, statistics, but uh, I think what we're seeing with Viney this season, although it's only two games, um, is exactly what we're seeing with Brayshaw and Jones and um, even Hunt that we were talking about. It's all about playing a role. Uh, previously, Viney was a mid, a mid, and a mid, and that was that was all he did. Uh, now we're starting to see him playing that that uh, out of the out of the centre role, up the fo- up forward, a uh, little bit of half forward, half back, coming off the back of the square type of thing. So we're adding strings to the bow, and um, uh, when needed, you throw him in, throw him into the middle, and again, it's going to be a horrific prospect for. Um, opposition coaches when we can afford to play Viney outside the square because we've got Oliver and Petraka and a picket and uh, and a few others that we can throw in there at any any time. But I think Jack will uh, actually improve as a player and his output for the side will become uh, much greater than what it has been in previous years. Yeah. Uh, Viney, Jones, Brayshaw all had seven score involvements and I, I think you can add uh, Nathan Jones to that sort of outside the, the centre square effectiveness because uh, I think he's been, you know, sort of playing well. Um, and Andy, just looking, he had 26 pressure acts, eight tackles, eight clearances and seven loose ball gets. So that sort of all sort of numbers that go to the point that George was just making about, sure, you take Oliver out of the equation, great. <laughs> then you've got someone like Viney who can rack up that, those sorts of numbers and you can't throw a second tagger at them, can you? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Um, I think we've answered that one. Accuracy or lack thereof, uh, once again, was an issue. Uh, we had multiple players miss very easy shots, or, or, you know, set shots uh, on goal. Um, you know, we miss out on the banking of percentage when other teams in the competition are able to put teams to the sword. Uh, look, this hasn't affected the outcome of any of our games yet, uh, in, except in terms of, uh, and this is just from my own greedy uh, perspective because I want to, I want to thrash teams. I want to bank percentage. Um, you know, we know how important that can be. Uh, we've missed finals as a result of, um, uh, you know, small percentage margins. But and but as I said last week, if you keep winning, it's not a problem. But um, yeah, want to start putting teams to the sword, putting teams away, and and the set shot accuracy has really got to improve. I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. Um, 130% is not a bad, not a bad way to start <laughs> no. the season, though. And look, I'd 180, 180 is better. But um, <laughs> look, I'd rather have uh, have the off days and win and um, get them right on those crucial close games. So hopefully, um, 
hopefully the accuracy will come to the fore when we need it most. Um, the only one really concerning for me in an ongoing sense is is uh, Fritsch, um, even though he actually kicked um, kicked pretty well the other very night. Very so, um, But, yeah, it's just um, him being able to nail those shots from sort of 40 out, um, 45-degree angles. So, um, yeah. But he, it's we amazing. Three from three at one stage. <laughs> it's amazing the, the um, difference accuracy made because he uh, kicked yeah three from three one and the first one from the boundary line was like an arrow went straight through from the, on his left foot on the bar, you know on the left side pocket so on the wrong side nominally for for a lefty but um you know it's incredible the difference accuracy because he didn't really have much involvement in the game but he, you know he had three goals so. That's it papers over a lot of things, kicking three straight goals, that's for sure. Although, although we won all those games um, in each of them at points where we were behind or certainly gave the opposition uh, the opportunity to come back, and that's the other, other downside of the lack of accuracy is that we're opening the door mm. um, for other sides and uh, certainly the better sides will take full advantage of that. So hopefully... Um, this can be alleviated over the coming weeks before we enter get into the serious um, parts of the season. The, the one thing I would say about the accuracy, though, is that we um, in two thousand nineteen and and parts of eighteen, we worked really hard to get the ball into the um, centre corridor. We um, our accuracy was better because we were kicking from the centre corridor. Um, but if you look where our scoring shots are from, and Fritsch is a good example, is that um, our leading lanes are often to the pocket and they're, they're marking on the boundary line and they're taking shots from there. The ones that really, you know, that frustrated the goals, like the ones that Oliver missed or two of them at least, um, you've got to put them through. You know, you know, the best players put the ones dead in front through. And look, I will say it is great um, that we are having plenty of scoring opportunities. That that's not a problem. We're not we're not having the issues of getting it in there, taking marks, and getting the shots. So it's not it's not like we're we're starved of opportunities uh, to score, which is which is a good thing. And and I guess the the kicking will uh, you know kicking straight will sort itself it's out. Interesting. Hopefully. I watched the Hawthorne uh, Geelong game, um, and anyone who watched that would have felt the frustration of being a Melbourne supporter for the past two years and just getting it in and getting it in and getting it in and not being able to put uh, put a score on the board. And it's interesting, Grapevine, in terms of the context of this game because um, our scoring ratio, scoring to inside 50 ratio has been just fantastic in the first two rounds and it was not too bad again this week. I think it was 45%, um, which was what was unusual about this game in terms of this season for us is that the um, the Giants flooded back super hard and that's why they ran out of gas. I mean, there's way too much emphasis on the fact that their injuries, um, how costly they were. They were part of their inability to score was because really their only option was to score on the rebound because they pushed back hard. That The defensive, um, our forward line was completely jagged, you know, lagged yeah. up. So I thought we did fantastic, actually, to score as much as we did in that context. We what we, we got to 100 points, didn't we? Um, in 2019, when, you know, the full-length quarters, you know, we were struggling to score 60 points. Um, so, you know, I, th- I thought that that was much underappreciated in terms of how 
how much defensive flooding the Giants did, and you can see why they did it. I like I totally knew that they, um, you know, would that would be something they'd look to do because they had to win that game. And so that's what I think, you know, partly about this attacking football is once you start losing games, you'll have coaches who won't be playing so attacking. They can't afford to lose another one and Cameron couldn't. Uh, so what do you do? You flood back and try to uh, make it a defensive struggle. Um, so, yeah, I reckon we did fantastic to score what we did. Um, we'll talk about those injuries to GWS. Uh, they were they were well on top of us early. They'd got uh, I think out three 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 goals to one very early on. Um, they had the lead before three players went down with injury, sort of before half time. Um, did we dodge a bullet with those injuries? Had had those players? Look, it's a moot point because we don't know. But had those players remained on the ground? Um, I don't know. Do you think we would have come back? Do we, would we have steadied the shift? Uh, oh, short answer for me is yes. And it, it, it's sort of a little bit, you know, chicken the egg thing. It's a bit frustrating because that's, again, led partly by the commentary team. I think it really undersells our performance. Like they were talking about we should run over the top of them. Um, keep in mind they're, you know, they're fit athletes. Yes, the rotations had gone down, but they weren't, it wasn't like they had three players down on the bench for the whole game. They had the medical sub that came in for Davis at the end of the first quarter. So um, then Coniglio was out and DeBoer wasn't until the, the third quarter. So, you know, really they were down two players for not even 50% of the game. Uh, and DeBoer wasn't doing anything. He was just bloody tagging. So I think it's, you know, there's a risk of under selling our performance based on that injury. So, no, I, I, I don't think it was a factor that many people are suggesting it was. Anyone else want yeah, <laughs> to disagree? <laughs> I, yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I, th- I think the other effect of the injury is not only that you lose the player, um, but you can't actually continue with your rotations. So I, I think the commentators said at one point, they had four GWS players come to the bench and they had to send them away because they just didn't have anyone on the bench to come on. You know, so it, it, it is right. You're right about the cumulative effects on the, on the team. But the, when a team is also um, running heavily um, and trying to stack the defensive lines, there's an awful lot of running gets involved in it um, when it's locked in the opposite end of the ground. So... Um, you, you're on a hiding to nothing when you can't get players on and off the field, and they're having to run um, huge distances in the game just to just to try and hold it all together. Um, but we were we were playing, we had the game we pretty well sewn up. Um, although the scoreboard uh, came back later in the, later towards the end, but um, we had we had the game in control well and truly at halftime. I thought, even though there wasn't all that much difference in the score lines. Yeah, I put in the game day thread, so it was there for future reference that would win that game by six goals, and uh, I was very disappointed that it ended up being thirty-four. I think, but um, um, yeah, accuracy, accuracy. That's right. It's, uh, I mean, yeah. So of course, injuries were a factor in my thinking with that, but I just think there's a risk of underselling our performance based on it. Um, MF-C in the chat room uh, it says, uh, keen to hear you, your guys' thoughts on Gus and his role on the wing so far this year. Um, George, you want to take that one? Yeah, I, I mentioned it before. I think Gus is um, uh, playing this uh, role 
play that um, we're seeing with a couple of players. Uh, it's also easy to remember that, sorry, it's easy to forget that uh, Gus really didn't uh, have a great pre-season but after his, in, his foot injury towards the end of last season. So he's, he's had to build up um, to the necessary levels to just to get into the side for a start. Uh, and because he's been out of it, um, pre-season while wise as well he probably hasn't had the preparation that he, he's needed so the the wing role we've known there's been a deficiency and a need in that area um uh for some time now um and he, his role is is not so much to um go get the ball which he's been brought up to be um in his career t- uh, to this stage he's that outlet that we, we need when the ball goes out uh when the ball is gotten in the middle, he's he's the one who's um, he's the go-to man on the outside. And um, if the ball does go out towards his wing, he's an addition, almost an additional mid as well because of that experience that he's got as as a ball getter. So, um, um, like Viney and like Cunt and like Jones, um, even oh, I think there's been changes in the way A and B's been used, the way Spargo's being used. Um, it, it becomes role play role. You've got a role to do during the, during the game, you do your role. And if everybody does their role, we'll win the game. And um, uh, you might have to sacrifice a little bit of your own game and what your own preferences might be. Um, but the, at the end of the, of the day, we've won another game. And I think that'll continue uh, uh, for Gus as well. We'll see, and we'll see a different side to Gus than what we've become used to as supporters. Hey man, anything more to add on that? Uh, yeah, I, I think that they will keep him there um, now that's his position. It's a tricky position um, to play because, um, you know, they you can get stuck on a wing um, and have to do the running up and down the ground and not get the footy. Um, so you've got to mentally prepare that. You know, we're probably, you know, 80% of the time we're going to play through Langdon, you'd think. The opposition are going to um, probably try and avoid Langdon. Um, I'm guessing so you know it is a bit of it's become a specialist role in the way it was when you had Robbie Flower and um, um, Greg and uh, Wood um, back in the in the day in terms of a special specialized position and I think that's his position he's we've just got too many inside mid so he's not going back there um, if he wants to play um, Footy for us, I reckon that the position they've got him uh, in mind for is the wing, and they'll and they'll want him to, as George so accurately says, is that so it's a role that he needs to practice. That the only way to do that is to keep him in it. I actually thought he was really important in the first quarter and in the last mm-hmm. quarter. He in the first quarter, I thought he defensively was he he worked hard, but also was disrupted. You know, a lot of their entries. I thought he was terrific, and in the last quarter. When they pushed, he was playing quite deep. I know he was still on the wing, obviously, but he was, um, you know, deep in their defensive zone, um, tackling and 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 being involved. So it was one of the better games defensively I can recall him playing, and it's really been a sort of a a fair knock on him that he hasn't been defensively strong. So it seems to me he's got his head in the right place and, um, you know, he's accepting the job that he's been given and, um, he, you know, he was important. He didn't leave anything out on the field. I think um, just towards the end, the ball was didn't quite go out of bounds on the wing. He, <laughs> he was trying to will it just to go out. I think he was just cooked at the time. Um, he'd been running a lot, so uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, 
three wins against three teams currently in the bottom five. Um, you can only beat the opposition that is put out in front of you, and we've done that. Uh, we've got the job done. Uh, but they have been injury-riddled teams, um, you know, uh, and despite, you know, we've beaten all three, we haven't put any of those teams away. Other teams have put those same teams away. Maybe that's the accuracy. Should we rein in our excitement levels a bit and wait and see how we perform against better opposition, which we've got coming up uh, this week? Uh, Great Viney. Well, those teams are only on the bottom because we've beaten them. They could all yeah. be. They could be in the top three had it not been for the D's. So, um, yeah. <laughs> look, as you say, you can only beat who uh, you know who, who you've played. So, um, I'm quite confident going into this week. I think Geelong are um, overrated and haven't shown too much uh, this season yet, and I don't expect that to change. So, um, yeah, perhaps uh, when we um, face Richmond in a few weeks' time, uh, we'll know a bit more. I think we might have to wait till Sydney. They're the uh, informed team. Uh, They're playing very well, well, Sydney, what I've seen of them. Mm. Um, uh, B-Man, before we move off the game, was there anything you more you wanted to talk about uh, tactics-wise? Oh, there were a couple of things in terms of that discussion about clearances were interesting because we were down... Um, clearances at one point and up in the game um, and um, they I thought it was really interesting tactically in terms of as I said as sort of a team that went back to a 2020 style flood um, they you know their goals were on the rebound I thought early on we didn't quite have our defensive structure right and it really showed what we were talking about last week um, uh, how critical our intercept roles were have been this season structurally in terms of our tactic, um, our sort of setup, because neither May or Lever had a great first half, did they? And um, and weren't holding their their marks, and it, and it, and it really hurt us in terms of our ability to. We gave up at least a couple of those goals early on were were due to drop marks. One from Lever, who turned around, had a really. I was surprised he got twenty two possessions and got a coach's vote as well. Um, so I presume that. I don't know, actually, it was a goodie or um, Cameron who gave him that. Um, but, you know, I think that one of the things that uh, was asked uh, to Gorn about, you know, what's the maturity? He, he mentioned maturity a lot. Um, and I think that we've got a system, as George pointed out, we've got a system now that is repeatable that, you know, yes, they push, but I, I didn't feel concerned really that they were going to roll back over the top of us and um, part of that's a confidence in that structural that that defensive zone and players knowing their role and that you know that that's the critical thing is that sort of people uh, the players are buying into a system um, so I, I thought it was a really good victory I reckon that's um, you know exactly as, as great finding says that sort of uh, should we downplay the role of the the wins? No, no way should we do that because they would be much higher up the ladder. Obviously, four points if they if we hadn't have beaten them. Um, and you know, I think that as I said, you know, three weeks ago, we have got one more game in this stretch of opening four games. All three of the teams and Fremantle would like to think they're pushing for the eight, um, but the other three teams were definitely starting the season thinking we want to make eight. 
Giants are in a bit of a mess, to be honest. So, um, and those injuries aren't going to help. Um, but you know, hundred um, percent, Saints are thinking top eight, and Geelong will be. So, you know, this season, um, these first four games are huge for how this season plays out for us. As much as anything, they're eight point games. We beat them, and um, you know that we're four points up on our direct rivals. And uh, yeah, so I think uh, it's yeah. From that perspective, it's a terrific start. But you know, most of it, most of all, from a tactic perspective, they've defensively they're super hard to score against, um, and um, their system is very well drilled. And finally, Goodwin's who you know identifiable. That whole mantra he's been talking about for years is you know having a Melbourne identifiable brand. Well, the fans can see it now, and that's a game based on a really strong defensive unit that knows what they're doing, that zones up super well, is really hard to score against, um, and that has got some other um, sort of notable aspects like our pressure up forward, Spargo, Nibbler um, and Cozzy. 17 tackles inside 50 is just phenomenal, really. Um, you know, if you compare to what we were getting in times of 2019 and 2020, uh, we weren't getting to double figures ever, basically. So, you know, I think... Um, the other thing I would just say finally, Andy, about the tactic stuff is Goody was has long been criticised for being sort of perhaps tactically a bit slow. I just think that he, he needs to get some credit for where we're at and um, where and you know how they're using the players and um, you know how the team's travelling in that space. All right, we've got a caller on the line. Uh, good evening. Welcome to the Demonland Podcast. Who am I talking to? It's it's time. It's time. How how are you doing? Good. Um, really enjoying the chat tonight. Fantastic stuff. Really enjoying uh, the discussion around uh, the tactics and the game plan. And uh, just wanted to add two observations and get uh, your guys' uh, view on that. And um, and that is, uh, I I was lucky to get to a couple of games last year up in Sydney. And uh, one thing when you're at the games that I, I really noticed that the top teams tend to do is they're set up off the ball. And um, I felt, you know, looking at Melbourne in the last couple of years, we just don't have that intelligence around where you set up, where you stand off the ball. And um, part of that's around not so much zoning even, but just knowing where to stand, where that next kick is going to be. And um, particularly around when there's contests and uh, and you get someone hacking a kick out of a contest, you'll see the teams like... You know, Geelong and Richmond ha- quite often end up having players that mark those hacked, t- uh, those hacked kicks because those players are, know where to go to, have been coached where to go to. And I, I always thought that was something that was really missing. And, um, and I really was a bit despondent about where that was going to, where that training was going to come from because it hasn't really come uh, up until this year. But I must say this year, from what I've seen, I was lucky enough to go to the Saints game and uh, just seeing the way they're setting up now off the ball. And it's all over the ground. So uh, I think it manifests itself in being able to get... It's part of what you were just saying about um, the setup in the back line. But that's also because they're setting up well off the back line, um, you know, behind the ball. So that when the ball comes forward, they're already in a position. And it's, I think it's really helped in cutting down teams when they get a run on that we've, we've been able to reform and stop those run-ons like we did against Kilded and against GWS because um, we have that structure off the ball. And it also creates options going forward as well that we didn't used to have because they're getting players more into positions off the ball 
that's just one observation. Um, the other thing I wanted to just add was uh, I think that Tomlinson's very underrated in his role now. And I think that, you know, a lot of what we're seeing this year and that you were just mentioning about how much we're attacking off the back line um, is really coming in a big way from Tomlinson because he's now being able to, to, to play as a stay-at-home key defender, which is allowing Lever to, to have a bit of a breakout year, really, back into the role that we recruited him for, whereas the last couple of years he's been forced into being a second key defender. Now he's been able to be an interceptor. It's also released May, I think, to run forward and create those attacks as well. And I think being able to have the luxury of have both those players being able to attack has made a really big difference. Um, and uh, the other comment I just wanted to make was I really feel that in watching the top teams over the last few years, the, the top four or six teams tend to, I think, have a difference in their skill level to everybody else, and it's a point of difference. And I think that um, we're starting to... It's starting to stand out a bit. I think Jordan's a fantastic uh, input into the midfield. I think that he's doing great work there, and you're, and, and it's really starting to add decision-making and skill that we we needed. It's, it's starting to be a point of difference. Um, and I think, you know, you talked about Hunt before. I think, you know, he's got the opportunity he's been given a go but he needs to fix his skill or Bowie is going to you know you can see Bowie coming in and providing that skill and uh, and A and B is going to be a weapon they're both going to be weapons but not if they they're not going to be accurate uh, just was wondering about your guys feedback on that lot lot to unpack there uh, big man uh, you want to you want to take uh, any of that yeah I think uh, yeah some really um Excellent points there. I totally agree with the um, setup. And just as a an asterisk, you watch Uze will get credit for that, and uh, Goody will get none. But um, I think you're right. We're definitely setting up well um, around, not just at the centre square, right around the ground. Um, I think the big factor in that we've talked about it in terms of that discussion that we've had over the last few weeks around clearances is that. Um, we're prepared to not win as many clearances um, to set up offensively and defensively really well. So if we do lose it, we're, we're rebounding off the halfback flank. But when we do win it, we get the sort of goal that we got at the beginning of the third quarter with when it um, kicked out to Fritter and Fritter got that goal. Um, if you think we've already got, you know, seven or eight of those goals already this season, maybe six or seven of those goals that have come straight out of the centre square, even with Max's dominance, we weren't getting them in 2018, 2019. Even in 2018, we're not getting many goals that way at all. Um, and I think big factor in is that they've got one contested ball winner going at the um, contest, not two or three. Um, you know, every, even casual observers of Melbourne over the last few years have, have sort of derided us for the, you know, multiple players at the, you know, honey, at, bees at the honeypot type thing. So I think that's a really astute observation and it's definitely something we've improved in. Uh, I agree on Jordan. Jordan's so much better player than I had expected him to be. Uh, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago, I had it in my mind that he was a, a, um, a sort of another inside mid, but he's not been played like that. He's he's getting most of his possessions um, uncontested as an, an outlier. So, you know, I think that... Um, well, I read. Uh, I did. I did read somewhere an interview with one of his junior coaches saying that they didn't understand what, uh, after he was drafted why everybody was saying that about him because 
he played a lot of his junior football as an outside mid. Um, so it's an interesting observation that he's, uh, he's, he's doing some of both, but more so outside. I think the, the St Kilda game, he had two contested possessions and 18 mm. uncontested. Yeah. So uh, certainly showed you know, that that's the role. Yeah, and they've got a really good balance across the team. And I mean, I think Taylor's done a great job bringing in some X factor as well. I think um, it's time, as pointed out, some really good good uh, points that that are becoming obvious to us um, right now. Um, uh, I remember in another post in Demonland, there are a couple of statistics. We, we love statistics here. Um, we've we're now number one for intercepts. By a long way, um, and we've come by a long way, and we've come from number fourteen last year, I think, um, and that's to do with the setup that we've got in the back line. I think it was a an interview from Lever a couple of weeks ago where he said, or it might have been Stephen May, where that he said they actually hadn't played too many games together uh, because of injury or suspensions, and um, now that they've actually got a few games under their belt, they know where everybody um, is expected to go and where. You, where your mates are actually going, you know, the, it's just that confidence of playing together. But you, but you're absolutely right as well. Tomlinson has filled that role as a as a third reliable down there who who just keeps getting better and better. We've found a fantastic role for him. And of course, we all always forget about Salem, who's there every week. Um, so having a back line that's that's um, consistent uh, adds a big factor, and that's why the intercepts has has gone uh, from you know, down the bottom of the ladder effectively to right at the top. Um, you look at Richmond in their premiership years and that it was built around the, the Grimes and the Vlostons and the McIntoshes all the, and Aspreys, all these rather ordinary type of players, but they just play the game every single week and do their role every week. And we've got a great a great group down the back now and it's just, just a fantastic change um, to, the, to the whole team. But you're right as well around the middle um, – completely different way of playing the middle. Um, we were always caught on the outside in the last couple of years. You know, the, even the Footscray practice match um, showed us that again when we really only had one person in the middle uh, because of the rest of the midfielders weren't there. But Footscray do it, do it so well, getting the ball to those outside users like McRae um, and even Bontempelli, and, and they they really damage you in, in a game. But you've got to set up properly in the first place. So... Um, Dramatic change from what we've been doing in past years, and it's great. Vani mentioned that. You know, m- mentioning mentioning that great movement at at um, the Bulldogs, it it really excites me about Bowie watching Daniel, and how significant he is in their ball movement, how much of it he launches, and that we you know we're crying out for that, and it's it's going to be there. You can see, you know, the Jason Taylor magic's been in, in just bit by bit filling in the holes. Um, you know, you start to look at what you might perceive as the weaknesses at the moment in maybe aging players or players that don't have the skill, and you just see those those weaknesses are being brought in. They're obviously being seen and being addressed. That's exciting. Certainly is. Uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, it's time. Uh, no, I think that's that's about it. That's about it. Just you know, in terms of those players, I think it's just that that I think that we, you know, we haven't been at the level skill-wise of the, the top four to six. I, I was concerned about getting to that bracket, but you can you can see Cozzy brings not just that X factor, but, you know, his skill at just uh, kicking a ball even from the back line and hitting a target. 
is uh, something we've been desperate for. Obviously, you know, we've had Salem and he's been fantastic. And, uh, I mean, May is just so elite with, with the kicking out from the back line. And you can see that our skill level through the ground is progressively building. Um, and I think that's going to start to put us towards, you know, it's, what I feel that I've seen in the first three weeks is that we've actually got a system and they're they're starting to execute that system, and we can start. You know, as you just mentioned before, we can start to see what that is that Goody's talking about. But we we can actually see a system. Some of the execution of it's been a bit rough um, because there's some skill missing. But I think you know you can see where the the skilled players are going to come in in the next year or so. And it's uh, you know all of a sudden from being feeling very pessimistic at the end of last year, it's uh, there's all of a sudden a whole lot of reasons for being very optimistic. You could add Trent Rivers as well uh, to one we've brought in yeah, that uh, yeah. skilled. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you Absolutely. very, thank you very much. It's time that was a fantastic call. Um, call back another another week. That'd be great. Okay. Well, appreciate the work, guys. <laughs> Thanks, mate. That was its time, uh, Demoland Poster. Um, yeah. Thank you for that uh, uh, call. Um, we might move on to. Um, uh, AFLW because we had a fantastic uh, win on the weekend. It, it, it was a great game uh, out at uh, the windy city of uh, Casey and uh, I, I bet you Fremantle weren't uh, expecting <laughs> expecting to play in conditions such as that and we played those conditions a lot better than they did. We were able to score um, in both the quarters where um, where we were going against the wind and they weren't able to, to kick a goal uh, into the wind and um, that was the, the difference in the end. Um, we were fantastic. Uh, uh, George, uh, yeah. you're, you're our AFLW <laughs> correspondent uh, and I know the other two guys are very, uh, are very uh, you know, uh, on the ball with the AFLW. So, but yeah, George, we're bring, bringing them online. And with a lot of supporters now, particularly now that we're getting, uh, as a club, the success in those areas, you you would have thought that the Fremantle side of all the sides would know about the Fremantle doctor, um, <laughs> but they, but but they obviously didn't in this game. Um, uh, I think we held them to two points in the first quarter, and effectively that was the game all over. Um, that meant that we were able to um, kick with the wind, um, and and took. Um, good advantage of it when we had the wind, uh, particularly in the last quarter. I don't know that the ball actually went down the Frio end in the, uh, uh, to any notable extent. Um, uh, I think the trouble was we could only kick one goal. What was it? One goal seven or something like that. Um, could have really put the the whole thing well beyond um, any any hope for early on, but we couldn't. It was almost like a, a repeat of the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've we've beaten the. Um, these seriously, you know, serious sides in the competition, and we beat them by sheer determination. Um, uh, it, it's been a slog in in certain parts of the parts of the game, and and the girls have really stood up. Um, you know, the resilience that we talk about that we've been looking for in the men's side uh, in in years gone by. Well, we've seen it in the girls in the in these last four games, certainly. Um, that, Hanks and Paxman um, continue to to impress, you know, remarkably. Uh, McNamara is another another addition to the side, and the old reliables like Maddie Gay and Shelley Scott, and now Eden Zanker are, are, are just they they're just turning up every game and doing exactly what what you need to see them do. They've just been fantastic. I also like um, 
Lauren McGee or Specky McGee, as she's known. Um, this was her third or fourth AFL game in total, and we were worried when Sinead Goldrick went down um, uh, that we weren't going to get the um, that sort of defensive mindset. But boy, these Irish girls, when they get the ball, there's no stopping them. It's just run straight ahead, and who cares in who's in front of them? Um, they just barrel through. It's um, fantastic to watch. Um, so uh, yeah, we, we've. Um, we, we should be pretty hopeful against Adelaide. We we've already beaten them in recent a uh, couple of day, couple of games ago. Um, however, it's at the Adelaide Oval and it's um, uh, in front of no doubt. Uh, it'll probably be a pretty sizable crowd because there's nothing else to do in Adelaide at this time of year or any other time of the year. So the locals will turn up, uh, hopeful again. But um, uh, so Adelaide are a formidable side in their own right. Let's let's not take that away from them. But uh, we're in great form. The the question will be: Can we put Daisy into the side? Um, is she well enough after the medial strain, or do we just hang off until we get through to the grand final to bring her out again? But uh, we'll look forward to the game this weekend. She was wearing a pretty sizable brace. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, yeah, good. It was a. Good size. Sorry, I was just going to say, there was footage of her training tonight at Gosh's, um, or at least going, at least kicking. Um, and although she had strapping on the knee, um, it didn't look like it had as much work as, uh, yeah, she didn't, certainly didn't have the moon boot on anymore. So um, maybe that's a good sign. Um, uh, um, cheers also to the, um, uh, to the four uh, Ds who made the All-Australian squad I think it is at this stage um, so that's Paxman Lauren Pierce, uh, Kate Hoare and Tyler Hanks and you've got to say that Eden Zanker was probably pretty stiff to miss I would have thought um, uh, so yeah well done to well done to, to those girls and um, and I think Paxman has made it every every season of the uh, AFLW competition. She's so superstar quality, absolute superstar. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think she's had 20 possessions this week, five tackles. Uh, Gay has had 19 touches, nine tackles. Just fantastic. Lily Mithen, you know, is just ferocious whenever she goes near the, the footy. Uh, Shelley Scott uh, kicking those two goals, um, you know, and as you mentioned, Zanka. And, and Lauren Pierce as well in the ruck. Uh, has just been, uh, you know, fantastic. Um, loving it and really enjoying watching watching um, our, our women play. Um, yeah, I was reflecting on um, uh, what Great Viney said a couple of weeks back. The um, just the joy that you know, th- it's just fantastic to see how much they're loving it. Um, but also the camaraderie that um, that Great Viney mentioned. It's so evident, isn't it? Just even watching Pierce on the um, boundary line at the end and sort of her interactions with her teammates and just it just really sort of it makes me enjoy the sort of sport more and um, in some respects just, you know, and it was a reminder that, of course, they're playing an elite level and, um, you know, look at Paxman. She she steeled herself for that for that game. You could just see and uh, when watching her sort of her approach, it was a reminder that they're at the elite level and that they're serious about um, about the game. Not not sort of suggesting that um, I thought they weren't, but um, just the, that sort of collective joy and the, the great energy there is in that team. A um, couple of thoughts. Just uh, Paxman was just awesome, as I said. She just clearly wanted to win. I thought Gay. She's just 
total class footballer and this a natural footballer. Um, but big props for Cunningham. I thought Cunningham was really um, important, particularly in that first quarter. She hasn't been terrific this season, um, struggled a bit up forward, I thought. Um, good move to bring her into the to the ruck, so another good move from the um, Stineer. Um, but I thought her more just her effort like in that first quarter, her sort of effort around the the ground to get to contest, not so much a skill, um, but just a sort of energy and effort was really important um, because we were against the wind in that first quarter, um, and I think that's really set up the victory for us. We scored two goals, was it against the wind? Uh, just just the one, just I the think one, was, and I think that was yeah, Bannon. Bannon. Yeah. That really took the wind out of Frio's um, sails and they looked um, nervous. Um, and just on the conditions, I was thinking during the game, they can't be playing a final out there. I mean, that was ridiculous. Like the conditions are hopeless. You know, that's not allowing the women's um, game to sort of – that's not an elite environment to play a, um, a proper game of footy out there with the wind. Um, you know, I know the VFL have to, but it's, I don't think it's – a good look for the game. It's not helpful. It's really the wind impacts the women's game um, much more than the men's game. Um, and for that reason, I'm super pleased that the um, final next week's at Adelaide Oval because it's on a proper ground that's protected from the wind. It'll suit us um, down to the ground as long as it's not wet. You'll get a great game of footy. And now, you know, we're, we've got, I think, the most skilled side in the um, in the women's at the AFLW. So, um, I'm I'm really pleased that it's uh, over there, and I think next uh, season they should make sure that no, you know, all finals are played at a proper AFL standard ground. What What do you think? Do you think they should play it at uh, Princess Park or yeah, Icon yeah, Park or, or even at um, um, Docklands? You know, yeah, that might be an issue just with clashes to. Um, uh, I guess to the to the AFL season, but I guess there can be workarounds there that they don't play on that every. Uh, I can day put a man on the moon, Andy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, some people debate that. Uh, um, uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, anything else to add, Ray Binding? Are you? Did you get your tape uh, work? You've uh, your VHS tape work. <laughs> no, I was going to watch live this week, so uh, <laughs> no, no issues with the Foxtel, thankfully. Oh, well, I actually did have an issue. I was watching on, on KO. I was up in the Mornington Peninsula and um, I had spotty internet where I was and it actually cut out uh, with, with a few minutes to go. Um, so I almost, and by the time I got it working again, uh, the siren had gone. So like, and we kicked a goal um, right at the end. So missed that one, but uh, that's technology for you. Um, well, let's move on to... Um, Let's move on to our Geelong game. Uh, changes for this week. Um, do we change a, a winning lineup? We've got uh, no injuries. It doesn't appear we're going to get back the uh, the two forwards that they've said they're going to play for Casey this week. Does Casey have a game this week, George? Or, or Casey back? Uh, no, Casey have got a game on the tenth of April, I think. Williamstown, uh, I think. I think it might be again. Williamstown, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's going to be the difficulty for the senior side that um, uh, we we didn't have a game this week and people like Chandler and Melcham, who were the subs in the last couple of weeks, uh, they, they apart from training, they really haven't had any opportunity to get any match practice in. 
Uh, so it's it's going to be difficult, I think, to to change a winning structure from that point of view alone, unless there are those niggling little injuries that we don't know about or ever hear about uh, to an individual. Uh, so it'll be very hard to to um, to swap anyone around. Not so much as I don't think anybody would warrant removal, but the question is, can you afford to put someone someone in who really hasn't had the opportunity to um, show their wares, I suppose? Uh, we had Melksham as as the um, the sub. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know, what do you think of that move? Uh, bringing in someone like Melksham could be an impact player. Um, I know he hasn't played much this year, but... I, th- yeah, I think what he can do. I think Melchon's biggest problem is actually what the others are doing. That um, uh, we're number one for inside fifty tackles, seventeen tackles inside fifty this week, and I think Melchon had six for the whole season last year. So um, he's not the sort of person you want to be putting in there at the expense of, let's say, Aspargo, who's who's been doing his job fantastically even uh, from that perspective. So, yeah, I'd be very reticent about bringing him in yeah. just from that. Although one that of alone. the AFL apps um, showed that he'd, this is Milkshaw I'm talking about, had a top speed of 99.9 kilometres <laughs> an hour. So um, he's wow. he's got the pace that we require. Um, <laughs> just a matter of whether he can apply it defensively. I saw that. I wonder where, where that glitch uh, where that glitch occurred. Uh, yeah, that was a funny one. Uh, B-Man, uh, changes this week. We're going to wield the axe. Uh, yeah, to – no, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, again, as I said last week, sort of winning teams, um, yeah, it's pretty tough to change winning team. I mean, the, the question mark would be it's – Andy, you keep getting this wrong. It's Sparrow, not Swallow. Um you know, people have suggested that, you know, Melksham might come in for Sparrow. Again, you know, I think that you don't quite know what Sparrow's role is fully, but you'd expect that it's forward pressure and tackling and ability to swing through the midfield when required. And, um, um, you know, unlike Dermy, I loved his, um, you know. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. When Jordan, I, I Jordan got a clip across the neck for, of all people, Dermot Brereton suggesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Sparrow was out of line. Give me a break. That's exactly what I want from from uh, Melbourne players. Um, you know, not of course to do anything stupid, get reported, and you know, not. But he didn't, did he? He came in and remonstrated and made the point that you don't clip one of our players, and um, you know, not you know. So I, I, I really like. I've actually you know sort of like the way he plays. Um, I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago how clever he is. Um, uh, again, another player with high footy IQ. So I, ca- I can't see Melksham coming in for him. The player that maybe is Jetta Hibbard coming in for Jetta. Um, you know, but Hibbard's not great one on one, and you know, I, I think Jetta. No knock on getting beaten by Green. Green's a you know legitimate superstar, isn't he? So uh, you know that would be probably the only one that I think might be on the card. Better comes out, Hibbert comes in. I mean, you, you could put a case together for Melksham because he is such a talented player. So, you know, you're travelling pretty well when you've you've got one of your nominally top 15 players, arguably, top 10 maybe, um, not being able to get in the team, but that's a good sign. I think we also have to look at uh, the way Geelong played and they uh, showed it yet again in the Hawthorne game this week. They, they play the old rope-a-dope game 
um, chip, chip, chip the ball around, move it really slowly up the ground, and eventually they'll kick it long, uh, hoping for Hawkins to get the ball um, in some way up forward. But um, we saw it badly from our perspective last year. We just didn't get to the ball uh, to the next kicker. Um, and so you need the Spargos and you need the ANBs and you need the Cozzies and you need the Hunts uh, to be able to get across and chop stop that chain of kicks coming down the ground. Um, so I don't think that we can afford to to bring in people who aren't prepared to to um, to chase for the whole game to stop their whole game plan. Um, I think it's going to be even more more critical. Um, Geelong haven't got a great forward line, if the truth be known. Um, it's Hawkins and not much else. Rowan's not there. Dangerfield, who has moved down forward, he's he's not there as well. Uh, Brian Myers occasionally um, chips in, but uh, hopefully we'll have... Uh, I think Jeddah would be able to play on him successfully. Um, uh, they're just... And, and as proven... Um, in the game against Brisbane and the game against Hawthorne, those old legs at the end of the game are running out of steam in a, in a big, big way. Hawthorne were not entitled to come back in that game. The game should have been over. Uh, Brisbane were not entitled to come back, but they did. Um, I think we're starting to see the, the, the cliff that Geelong's about to fall over. Um, Selwood's not being used in the, in the middle all that much. He's only in there occasionally. Um, We've got to find someone to shut down Guthrie in the middle. He's he's their go-to man at the moment. Um, and without Dangerfield, I think we've got uh, the opportunity. We've got a, a superior midfield um, in terms of talent at the at the moment. If if we have if we can stop Guthrie again, they've got very little else other than Duncan in the middle. So um, yeah, we're far better placed than perhaps what we think. And so I wouldn't be making any changes this week. Um, uh, Jeremy Cameron. Not sure what his availability is according uh, to the injury list listed on the yeah. website. Mitch Cleary has said Cameron is pushing to play, but it appears given the dialogue out of the Cats, he may have to wait at least one more week to make his Geelong debut. Yeah, um, it, was, it was two to three weeks last week. He's listed as test now, so yeah. I don't know if that's just Geelong sort of playing funny buggers. Uh, um, but I, I certainly would have want to come up against both Cameron and... Um, and Hawkins, but yeah, or, and Radicalia. If they, I don't know what's going on there. That's another another big unknown at the well, moment. Well, he's he's listed as fractured leg TBC, so I don't think yeah. he'll, he'll be coming back. Yeah, good name for a band, no, not for an injury. Wrong. Sorry, what was good that? Good name for a band, but not for an injury. Fractured leg TBC. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, be man, any what? What uh, tactically? How do you see this game going? I. This when we played them last year, as George said, that was one of the most painful games of football that I can ever recall. If you you you'll remember, that's where you know Scott just went in the keepings off the whole game. Um, that that's I didn't see the, the any of the Hawthorne game except um, the last five six minutes, which was exciting enough. But by all accounts, it was a dirge before that because Geelong were um, and Hawthorne were both. Um, you know, playing that sort of 2020 style footy as, as far as I as far as I understand. This game last when they played that game last, the, last year, I 
backed the Cats the following week under the total match point thinking they were going to do the same and Scott did completely the opposite. He came out and attacked the following week and that was their highest score, I think, for the season um, that next week. So, um, you know, I think he likes playing funny buggers tactically, Scott. So I I reckon either way they're going to struggle to beat us because... um, you know, Dangerfield's a huge, huge player, obviously, to have out. But Rowan's a really important player to um, have out for us because it's the, you know, I'm more worried about a, a Toby Green than um, um, than, a, than a Hawkins because Hawkins, May is the perfect matchup for Hawkins. Uh, he's not, you know, he's strong enough to take Hawkins. He's quick enough to, to go with him on the lead. Uh, Rowan's the sort of size player that we struggle with. We don't really have a great matchup for that sort of medium sort of player. So he's... Uh, out's a, a big one, I reckon, for, for us. Um, and I just think that if they go slow, they could, the problem is exactly in the, like the Hawks game, they play that slow game or they don't score enough in the long now half-hour um, things. They don't put a margin on, um, you know, on their opposition. They don't get any benefit really from – they don't get the five, six goals up that they might have been against Hawthorne if they dominated. So they keep oppositions in the in the match, which is a problem. Um, but I think that structurally, as we've talked about, as it's time pointed out, um, you know, we're, our system is better this year in terms of rebounding. And um, so even when they're coming in, we're, we've, you know, that's been their strength for ages is how strong they are defensively and they rebound um, off that halfback flank. Well, that's what we're doing this year. We're intercepting more than they are. Um, so I think we're much better um, positioned to score from their style. Uh, they're going to struggle to score against us. So I just can't see them scoring enough to beat us. Um, you know, the planets have aligned. And, you know, I think that we, we have showed maturity this year. So, you know, I expect us to win this game. And um, um, remarkably, they're favourite, I think. I, I might be wrong on that. But in the in the betting, I've got a feeling that they might be favourite. Uh, and if that's the case, money for old rope on that one. So, um yeah, I think that sets up super well for us and I'd be surprised if we lost. The, the thing is, for all the frustration, excuse me, of last year's chip-around game, they barely are barely able to put a, a winning score on last year against us. So, um, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, might have been pulling our hair out, but I don't know whether it was all that effective, as, as Big Man's just pointed out. Well, how much did they beat us by, though? It was that, you know, that, we that that points, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, we almost had a kick at the end to, to win the game. Um, and when I, get I have to say one thing. I don't know what it is, but I really dislike Geelong and um, and Selwood. I just cannot stand the way he goes about his footy. So I'd be super pleased to, to see him, uh, you know, trudge off the ground complaining about the umpires and um, and you know looking up and seeing a six goal loss yeah he's he's even worse uh, this year he's he's got to that stage in his career where he's staging more and more to make up for his lack of uh, um, uh, uh, running power that he used to have and um, even in that Brisbane game the goal that they got the Bris- uh, their, their their last goal came about because uh, Selwood got the ball in the uh, Brisbane back line and threw his head back as soon as he, he picked the ball up and the umpire fell for it and then 
handed out a 50-metre penalty because the opposition complained about it. And he was doing exactly the same in the Hawthorne game. He's just such a frustrating player to watch at the moment because he's not playing football like he used to. Mm. And as an indication, I was just looking now at the odds and, you know, um, not suggesting that odds are necessarily all that sort of ref- reflective, but they are <laughs> generally. So they're definitely reflective of what the sort of outside world think. And Geelong are dollar seventy three favourite for this game, and you know, I would I would have this marketed us um, being favourite for all the reasons that we've talked about, um, uh, and you know, particularly with the players they've got out. So yeah, I think that just reflects that you know. The rest of the footy community is still not trusting Melbourne and maybe with good reason. Um, and, you know, there's sort of past glories for Geelong, but, uh, you know, I don't think they've been that impressive this season. And I fully agree, George, I reckon they're going to fall off the cliff. In fact, I don't think they'll make the eight this season. I've been waiting for them to fall off <laughs> the cliff for a long time. <laughs> they just sort of hang on and hang on. I always just seem to... Be able to entice players over and uh, still just top up nicely, and um, they're able to just sort of pick these guys out of you know never have a top ten draft pick and still still manage to pick some guys out who uh, who can do some damage. But uh, yeah, let's hope that they can't can't run out the game and now fitness sort of uh, you know with these longer quarters uh, back again. Um, you know, I think they sort of Hawthorne sort of overran them in the end. I don't know what took took a while to for Hawthorne to get a rocket up their bum um, to get going at the at the end of the, this week. But um, yeah, Geelong sort of I think ran out of gas, and hopefully they can do the same this week uh, against us. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. I, I think uh, I think we might uh, might leave it there. Um, did you anyone have trouble getting tickets this week? I thought it was uh, it seemed much smoother for me uh, for our home game this week than it was in the the first round. Um, I, I found the perfect solution. I got a friend to get mine. Oh well, that's yeah. <laughs> I found it easier this week too, and I uh, ended up with seats that are almost identical to my normal um, home ground seat. So I'm very happy. What what's your normal seat, Great Barney? Uh, pretty much in the opposite pocket to where I saw you last week. So, um, all right, you might see me this week because we've been put to the other side of the ground. Right. I think. You're normally in the southern, are you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I prefer to be in the northern. So, yeah, happy. Oh, you mightn't if you have to hang around <laughs> us too long. <laughs> I just prefer to be at the MCG and not having to play yes. long at Cardiff. Uh, <laughs> Park, which I think we do have to play them later in the in the season. So let's hope we can bank a win uh, this time. I'm going to get a COVID shot um, next Wednesday, and so I'm going to call the MCG and, and um, suggest that they just have the Ponsford stand only for vaccinated <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> they must they must be. Uh, I don't know how far away do you think we are from uh, the AFL? Um, you know, we're thirty. Plus odd days of no no virus uh, in Victoria. Um, do we go? Are we going to hundred percent soon? Or, uh, just, you know, the vaccine. I'm all for the vaccine membership slash passport and <laughs> vaccinated. I should say so. Uh, you know, we should have our choice of where we go. Actually, I think I mentioned this last time that uh, certainly after round one, my train home was at a hundred percent capacity. So I don't see why the ground can't be the same. 
Yeah, unfortunately, the state government, it's always, it's easy to impose restrictions. It's much harder to unimpose them. And, uh, uh, but the reality, the reality is it should be allowed at 100% capacity at the moment. <clears throat> there are no cases in the community. What are we doing this for? But uh, that's across all sorts of industries at the moment. There's still restrictions in restaurants and there's still restrictions in bars and there's still restrictions at, at, um, uh, theatres and things like that, all unnecessary at the moment. That's 39 days without a single community transmission. Um, there is no reason to keep it. I just wonder what's going to happen if they do go to 100%, if they're going mm. to still make us um, yeah. purchase tickets this way so they have some control uh, over where people sit um, or if they're going to let me sit in my reserve seat um, again. Um, I don't know. We'll, time will tell. All right, boys. Thank you very much. Thank you, George. Thank you, Beerman, and thank you, Grapeviney. Uh, it's been a great chat. Thank you to It's Time as well calling in. Uh, good to have callers uh, calling back in um, in these times. Thank you very much, guys, and go, go Jets. Go Red Legs. Come on, Beerman. Come on, Beerman.